What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Evening hours of Friday, October 7th, 2022. What in the world just happened, folks? Welcome into the show where we will, unfortunately, tonight have to discuss the worst Cardinals loss in postseason history. I think that's probably safe to say. Like, sure, nobody liked the Don Denkinger call in the 85 World Series, but statistically, just probability-wise, this loss should not have happened. That's what I'm talking about. It The stakes maybe not as high. Cardinals lose game one of the wildcard series to the Phillies, 6-3 to three at Bush Stadium on Friday. Like, they've still got opportunities to win this series, move on in the postseason. You win a couple games this weekend, and nobody remembers how dreadful this day ended up being. And I guess technically in the 85 World Series, the Cardinals could have come back the next day and won a game there as well. But you, you get my point. When you're 93-0 and in franchise history under a particular circumstance and then something happens to change that and suddenly you're 93-1, and that ends up being a pretty significant loss. And that's exactly what happened today for the Cardinals as they go into the ninth inning leading 2-0. And when they had led by two or more runs into the ninth inning in franchise history, in the postseason, 93-0 and was the record. Uh, today was the first loss. Yeah, it didn't go the way that Cardinals fans thought it probably would when Juan Yepes was hitting his first ever postseason home run in the first ever postseason at bat of his career. Oh, by the way, on the first ever pitch he saw in the postseason. What a magical moment that was for Juan Yepes in the seventh inning to give the Cardinals a 2-0 lead. And if only that euphoria... Didn't have to be so short-lived. Six runs for the Phillies in the ninth as the Cardinals blow it. And they blow it in fantastical form. The tweet that I sent after the game following the final out, Molina strikes out. Tomorrow night will be an elimination game for the Cardinals at Bush. And then I posed this simple quandary. How the hell did this happen? And uh, you guys came out in full force with a lot of answers to that question of how this happened. Uh, so the opinions were coming in hot and heavy. We'll get to some of those on B-Shafe Daily tonight because I want to kind of get into the weeds a little bit on some of the major decisions that I guess people believe lost the Cardinals this game or some of the key plays that did so, and sometimes those were intertwined. The decisions that led to the plays that led to the loss, the ninth inning was full of those, and so we will dive into all of it. Some of the main factors at play here that we'll talk about, obviously, closer Ryan Helsley, the all-star who had been so reliable all year long for the Cardinals, was not so today. But it wasn't really his fault necessarily. Well, it was in, in part, but then other aspects maybe not so much. From the physical element of his ability to pitch, maybe not his fault because he was pitching compromised, we believe, with an injury. And we don't know the full scope of that injury at this point, but... It relates back to Tuesday when, in Pittsburgh, he jammed his middle finger on his pitching hand trying to field a, a comebacker and had to be removed from that outing. Couldn't find the feel for his pitches. Well, even though things looked pretty good tonight in the eighth inning for Ryan Helsley, he threw 10 pitches, recorded two outs, and had the Cardinals well on their way to a one nothing lead in this wildcard series. He sat down, the Cardinals batted in the bottom of the eighth, and then... Time goes by. He goes back onto the mound, and things suddenly began to unravel from there. Losing the feel for his pitches, according to Ollie Marmel, after the game. And boy, was that costly for the Cardinals because uh, they were sort of, and Ollie Marmel was basically treating Ryan Helsley in that ninth inning like the Ryan Helsley of, of old, of always, the guy that's reliable, and if he has a hiccup, he's going to find a way to work his way through it. The problem was... Well, Ryan Helsley might not be healthy, might not be able to work his way through things like you normally would expect because of the situation with that finger. So we'll talk about Helsley. We'll talk about the handling of Ryan Helsley by Ollie Marmel tonight. I thought Ollie Marmel did a lot of really good things in this game, actually. I mean, if you were sitting in my shoes writing a story about this game after seven or eight innings and the way things had unfolded, I would have made the argument and was proceeding to do so that Ollie Marmel was putting together a managerial clinic in his first ever postseason game as a manager. He did a lot of really good things today. I'm still going to talk about some of them, but then we're going to have to talk about some of the things that maybe didn't go nearly as well. 
Some of those things are being discussed on Twitter. Cardinals fans are all over it. I think there are other things that Cardinals fans are blaming Oliver Marmel for that aren't really his fault or weren't bad decisions, in my opinion, anyway. So I'll talk about where I disagree with maybe some of the public discourse. Should he have left Jose Quintana in longer rather than removing him from the game after five and a third scoreless innings? We could talk about that. Cardinals Twitter certainly seemed to believe so. A lot of people, when I asked what happened, what the hell just happened, talked about pulling Jose Quintana when he was cruising into the sixth inning as one of the mistakes by Ollie Marmel. I don't necessarily agree with that, and I'll tell you why. But then there were some things that I thought needed to change, and and part of that was to do with Helsley. Part of it was to do with and maybe this wasn't something that needed to change, but the explanation, it certainly didn't end up working out for the Cardinals the way they had the defense positioned there in the ninth inning. I think that was where the game really hinged, and I don't know if it's black and white. There's a lot of gray area to this and a lot of nuance, but the good news is Ollie Marmel, I think better than any Cardinals manager in recent history, is willing to answer the hard questions, and explain exactly what the thought process was. You may not agree with the thought process after the fact, but I think whether you liked Ollie's performance today or not, you got to give the guy credit for coming through and saying, yep, here's exactly why we did what we did, what we were looking to do. And then you can base your opinion from there. But I do think it's important to hear the thought process. And then if you want to disagree with it at that point, you can be my guest. I think that's exactly what uh, being a baseball fan is all about being able to second guess, but uh, getting the explanation and then saying, oh, no, I think that's a, a dumb explanation or oh, actually that that might make a little bit of sense. So I want to give the context to that. But then I want to take a look, too, at as Helsley's outing was going on. That's something else from the ninth inning that I feel like Ollie maybe could have done a little bit better. So we're going to try to get into as much of this as we can in the limited time that I'm going to spend on this uh, episode tonight. But before we jump into the the meat of the content from the Game 1 loss for the Cardinals, I want to remind you guys to subscribe if you would do so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to B-Shape Daily, and I would say so that you're caught up and ready to go for all the new Cardinals postseason episodes that we'll be dropping over the next month. But there's also the reality that tomorrow could be the last one. But uh, we'll be here through the end of it and then obviously uh, into the offseason as well whenever that time should arrive for the Cardinals. I will say this, though. I don't think it's quite over just yet. I know with this wild card format, it it can suddenly evaporate on you. But the Cardinals still feel like a confident bunch, and they've got a guy going on the mound on Saturday night that that doesn't intend to make things easy for the Phillies as they look to celebrate on the Bush Stadium field with a quick 2-0 sweep in the wild card series. But make sure you subscribe to the show because regardless of how tomorrow goes or Sunday goes, we'll continue to have B-Shafe Daily and Cardinals talk well into the future. So make sure you're locked and loaded with that. And if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash bshafer12 is the best way to do so. You could also go to my Twitter account, at bshafer12, click on the money tab, and you'll be linked to Venmo or Cash App. But monthly basis for the Patreon, you get some extra articles, some extra goodies as well by going over there. And it's a great way to show your support for what we're doing over here at bshafe Daily. But now that we've got all that out of the way, let's get into the ugly stuff, talking about the 6-3 to three loss for the Cardinals. We'll start here because it was the crux of the game. We'll get into some of the, the stuff that had happened earlier, the Quintana stuff. We'll get into the Yepes home run. Deserves to be discussed. But I want to start right into the late innings of this game where the Cardinals had that 2-0 lead already, and they had Ryan Helsley ready to go. Gio Gallegos pitched. He threw the first out in the eighth inning after pitching a pretty quick seventh. And uh, after getting into a little bit of trouble there in the eighth, that was the point at which Ollie said, all right, we're going back to the bullpen, which is something that I don't really have an issue with because I felt like after you got through the five and a third with Quintana, Jordan Hicks did his job with a couple of outs in the sixth. It sort of set up for the Cardinals to just use their big guns through the rest of this game. That seemed to be the plan. Seventh inning pretty much went according to plan with a quick one for Gio Gallegos. And then Gio comes out for the eighth inning. They get the first batter, and then it's a four-pitch walk. And at that point, there's no reason to mess around with it. A four-pitch walk with the season on the line, 
even in a situation where you lead the game at that point to nothing. Nope, bring in your closer. Let's get this done. Helsley ends up getting the next couple of guys out. Pretty quick job of the eighth inning, and then he's presumably ready to go for the ninth. You don't bring him in for the eighth without bringing him back out for the ninth. I recognize that there are some issues with that because Helsley, in the month of September, only once pitched more than a singular inning as the team's primary closer. And so you say it's not something he's used to doing very often, which is something that you could say, yeah, like Ali Marmel's got to necessarily recognize when the guys he calls upon are being asked to perform in roles that they're maybe not accustomed to. But there had been times throughout the season where Helsley had gone two innings. So I, I didn't think that much of it at the time. But there is the fact that he was coming off of this injury. And I think that's the bigger part of the situation here when it comes to Ryan Helsley and what the expectations were for him in this game by the Cardinals. Here's what Ollie Marmel had to say when asked about, was it the finger? Was that related to the issues that Helsley was experiencing there in the ninth inning? Once, yeah. once we went out there, he said he started to lose a little bit of feel for his uh, pitches, um, so I would have to say yes. Yeah, he felt good when he came off the first time, went back out, uh, no issues early on, but then said he started to lose feel, so. What do you have to do in that spot? How quickly do you have to kind of get a read on it? I mean, a couple walks, obviously, but he can get it back. Then the hit batter is just. Yeah, the hit, the hit batter is enough. Uh, you're hoping he gets it back. He's been super reliable all year. Obviously, we, we were aware of the, the issue with the finger. Won an issue early on, didn't show any signs of it. Um, once you go back-to-back -back walks, you're, you're thinking this is the last hitter. And uh, hit by pitch definitely ends it. So there was Ollie Marmel there after the game. You heard the question by Derek Gould there. Asked about the notion of how quickly you need to be able to recognize how to handle a situation like that on the mound when you've got your best pitcher, your best reliever throughout the year, and he's not looking like himself. And I don't feel like Ollie Marmel, this is one spot where I felt like he could have been better, didn't recognize in the moment quickly enough for me that something was amiss with Brian Helsley there. You knew the finger was a factor from Tuesday, happened in Pittsburgh, Obviously got the clear and the go-ahead, and we'll play that audio as well. Helsley tells Ali Marmel that he's good to go, and for Ali, that's, they build that trust and communication, and so that's what Ali's basing his decision-making off of is the fact that Helsley, who we talked about earlier in the season, at times tells a guy, I I'm not good to go. This is not a day you can use me. Cardinals fans had gotten upset about the usage of Helsley when he wasn't being used on back-to-back -back nights in certain cases. But what stemmed from that was that we learned, yeah, Ryan Helsley has felt more comfortable this year to really build that trust and communication. And when he's not good to go, he's charged with saying so. Whether he does that consistently enough, whether he did that tonight properly, you know, that's definitely up for question. But the rapport had been established in Ollie Marmel's mind, and so that was where his decision-making was coming from in that regard. But for me, we had just talked about walks being a factor and why you, you went to Helsley so quickly in the eighth inning. And then there in the ninth, it was sort of a similar situation beginning to develop, but you had the injury, the history of that injury within the past week on top of it. And that colors the slow reaction from the manager a little bit differently for me. He started out the ninth inning looking fine. As Ollie said there, there were no signs coming back out. You know, first of all, no signs from the eighth. No signs during the intermission there as the Cardinals were batting in the bottom of the eighth. And no signs when he went out for the ninth. He gets the strikeout of Reese Hoskins. That's a really good hitter that he was able to get. Did have a three-ball count on him, but came back and got him. Real Muto singles, and there's nothing really crazy about that, but that's where things start to begin to go off the rails. 1-0 count on Bryce Harper is when Yadier Molina comes out for a quick visit on the mound with Helsley. And then he proceeds to walk Bryce Harper in that at-bat, which leads to the pitching coach, Mike Maddox, coming out, checking on Ryan Helsley. At that point, you've had your catcher. Again, that's pretty common for having those little quick meetings of the minds on the mound, but that takes place. Then your pitching coach goes out there. At that point, and, and again, at that point, there had only been the one walk. It had just been the base hit to Real Muto, the walk to Bryce Harper, which 
happened after he had two strikes on him, lost him, but the pitches started to become, at that point, more non-competitive. And they showed, you know, the, I'm watching through these replays now, the late pitches in that Harper at bat, they weren't close. The whole infield comes to the mound. Mike Maddox is there. They're talking through it. It's runners on first and second. Nick Castellanos up to bat. At that point, the bullpen was maybe stirring a little bit. They show on the broadcast, Mike Maddox is is explaining to Ollie exactly what, what what's going on, what was said. But still to this point, the Cardinals have really not gotten anybody up and working. The coaches are on the bench talking about it. They did a good job of showing the Cardinals bench as I'm watching through the ABC broadcast. 100 miles per hour up and in on Castellanos to, to make it a 3-1 count. Still, the Cardinals aren't really jumping to action the way you'd like to see. And then he spikes a, a breaking ball, looks like a slider, low and away to Castellanos for ball four. And that's the point at which the Cardinals get some guys up and really going. Looks like a nod from Ollie. I'm kind of watching through this as I talk here. And they had Palante and Flaherty get going in the bullpen. And I'm trying to fast forward here to see if there's a spot where they really begin to show that on the broadcast. Yep, it's 1-0 on Alec Baum is when they start to show the guys really starting to, to warm up with some intensity. Both Palante and Flaherty were out there, and that is the way that it looked. It was like, wait, 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 and then suddenly, boom, we're double-barreled, and one of us is coming to the into this game within a matter of moments. But at that point, you've got Bohm, who's a good power hitter. If Helsley ends up leaving one over the plate, like that's what was so strange. As you're watching this at bat, he threw a strike 100 miles per hour to him, but obviously ends up that the at bat ends when he hits him with the pitch. The command was just not consistent for Helsley, and it was as a result of it was 101 up and in, and Bohm was excited about it, clapping his hands after the fact because he knows that meant his team just scored a run, but. For the Cardinals, I think it was obvious before that hit by pitch that Helsley probably shouldn't have been in the game at that point. You Again, you had Yachty go out. You had Mike Maddox go out, but you didn't have the trainer. Ali himself didn't go out. Go ahead and have that be the injury timeout. Like, if you're if there's any question in your mind, use that as your get-out-of-jail-free card because you know if you go out there and say, oh, yeah, he's got this finger thing, he can't pitch anymore, it's not like it's a three-batter minimum thing. He's already eclipsed that point in the inning. You know, he he did that last inning by pitching to a couple of guys in the eighth, so that's not a concern. You can have as much time for the next guy to warm up as that guy's going to need if you have to pull Ryan Helsley from the game due to injury. You bring the trainer out. I just think it needed to have happened one at bat earlier, and even if not, even if you're not even thinking about the injury being a possibility, which I don't know how you wouldn't have been. I certainly was up in the press box long before Alec Baum got hit by the pitch, you're thinking, is the command an issue right now because of Ryan Helsley's finger? That's had to be what everybody was thinking. But the Cardinals, they were it's just like they were caught in the moment for just a little bit, just like a split second too long. And I think it cost the Cardinals a meaningful opportunity there because if you do that a little bit earlier, again, I'm not going to be completely uh, hindsight 2020 guy and go, oh, yeah, once they walked Harper, that should have been it. When Mike Maddox was out, they should have. No, I mean, they did They did at that point. I think what you can do is, okay, send your pitching coach out. What's going on? I'm sure he asked the right questions. But you got to use your eyes as well. And when you see it just not getting any better after that second walk, I think that needed to be the moment of urgency. Not, okay, maybe one more batter. Like you heard Ollie say, with the two walks, once you, once you get to that point, you know it's maybe just one more hitter. Doesn't need to be even that one hitter, I don't think. If there's a real injury situation going on with Helsley, you could take him out of the game right there, and they can bring in Palante or Flaherty or Wainwright or whoever wants to come in to pitch, and he can have all night to warm up. He's going to get as much time as he needs. Um, that ended up being the case after the hit-by-pitch, but it could have been that way before and would have given the guy coming in a little bit more margin for error. So that was the one spot that I thought Ollie uh, maybe was a little bit behind on uh, the urgency that he could have had for the situation. There are a lot of other things that happened in the game, as we'll talk about, that I don't think were problematic managing by Ollie Marmel. And in some cases, I completely agreed with the decisions he made, whether social media and, and folks on Twitter did or not. This was the one case, though, where I was like, I think it's pretty cut and dry. They should have been a little more proactive about the Helsley situation. At a very minimum, you got to get guys up and throwing 
just in case. But really, you don't. You don't have to get them up and throwing if you're willing to just go out and say at whatever point, are you injured? Yes. Okay, come on out of the game. Now we can bring in our guy. Whether he's warmed up or not doesn't really matter. It's immaterial at that point. It's an injury, and you can bring somebody in and have him warm up just the same way that Palante did, finishing his warm-ups to his satisfaction on the mound. That was a spot where I thought it was a bit of an issue. Ben Fredrickson, you'll hear this in the post-game podium for Ali Marmel, asked this question about whether there was hesitation in, okay, having him go that second inning, given the injury situation, what did that look like? And, and here's how Ali answered that question uh, after you hear it here from Ben Fred. What that might look like after you guys have good reports on the injury, or do you have to just treat that as, hey, if he's good to go and the doctors say he's good? That's how you, that's how you treat it. Yeah, you check every box. Um, we've been honest with each other all year. You say you're good to go, and then you're good to go. So that was kind of what I alluded to a little bit earlier, where Ali Marmel was talking about the trust. We've built this up. This is the way we operate here with communication. Earlier Friday morning in Ollie's office, when the writers got a chance, the local writers got a chance to go in there and, and talk to him pregame, he talked about the notion of communication and how important that has been for this team this year. He, he was discussing it within the context of Jose Quintana, where after a, a recent start, I believe it was earlier in September, Got pulled in the the sixth inning after five and a third, five and two thirds, or something like that. And then after the outing, uh, came Dolly in his office. This is Ollie relaying the information and said, uh, "You know, I I would like the opportunity to go deeper into a game." And then his next start, he went eight innings. Ollie gave him that chance. He responded to it favorably, and so that is an example of the communication that you know you've got the numbers, you've got the things that you want to do as a, a coaching staff, but then the players are always going to have that opportunity to say, hey, it's got to be a two-way street, so I'm going to let you know the way I feel about it, and it's not always going to be the the answer and the response that they want. Certainly today, that wasn't the case for Quintana, who got pulled in the sixth inning. But just as an example of a coaching staff willing to hear out a player and and, and hear out their concerns or their uh, situation, whatever it may be, and that has to apply to injuries as well. And for Ollie, he has tried to foster that sort of environment for communication and obviously in this case he says look there wasn't a concern for pitching Helsley multiple innings in that situation uh, despite the injury because the the injury wasn't a factor to us as it had been described by the pitcher himself so it's difficult I know a lot of times the Cardinals medical staff it's always a, a popular thing to say oh it's the medical staff they can't keep guys healthy part of that though and a huge part of it honestly is the players themselves have to relay the information accurately or the medical staff doesn't always get the opportunity. You can do imaging and you can do all sorts of things to try and get a feel for what's going on inside a player's body. But the best way to get that information is for the player to relay it honestly and talk about how he's feeling for them to be able to do their jobs in treating them, being able to respond to situations. And so I don't know what the, the case was with Helsley. We still don't know the full ramifications of his injury, he was off-site after the game, so we didn't get a chance to talk to him post-game. Uh, he'd already been taken elsewhere, presumably for imaging, MRI, I, I would think would be the case there. And uh, I would have to say that the status for the rest of his series and maybe his season is in doubt at this point because if it were middle of August and the guy needed 15 days on the injured list, well, at that point, that takes us to the, the 23rd of October. I think that's NLCS territory. So it's definitely within question if Helsley would need to go down, be unavailable to pitch for a couple of weeks. And, you know, that's maybe the worst case scenario. Maybe the worst case scenario is worse than that. I don't know. But within the context of this season, uh, certainly it's it's up in, up in the air right now for Helsley. And you certainly aren't going to have him tomorrow, right? And this was a question that was asked, like, okay, even if there wasn't an injury, the guy threw like 30 pitches or whatever in that, that ninth inning, he wouldn't be available anyway, presumably for uh, the next day's game. And Ollie's like, yeah, that probably would have been true regardless of his status. So reality is the Cardinals have to find a way to win a game tomorrow, and they're not going to have their weapon, their closer, Ryan Helsley, at their disposal to be able to do it. And so I'll talk about at the end of the show today how that colors the type of game I think the Cardinals need to play on Saturday in order to win the game and extend this series. But uh, for now, we're just kind of left picking up the pieces for what happened on Friday. And uh, it was just a case of clearly impacted by the finger, Ollie's, you heard Ollie mention, was losing the feeling of his pitches. It happened sort of all of a sudden there in the ninth, whether you believe that or not, doesn't really matter. Uh, he did 
looked good until he didn't. So I, I tend to, to err on the side of, yeah, he had a good feel until he didn't, but makes sense. Gets the pitch count up. It's the first time he's thrown since that, that day in Pittsburgh. And um, maybe just kind of working through some of the residual on that. And hopefully that's all it is, but it's certainly costly in, in the moment that it came for the Cardinals. Because again, Ryan Helsley had just been nails all season long. There, there never would have been a doubt. I don't think if that, situation in Pittsburgh on Tuesday hadn't happened. The Cardinals are probably up one nothing in this series right now. It's as simple as that. Uh, you don't have a healthy Ryan Helsley, and, and things can tend to go off the rails, as you saw. But if he was in a spot where he was healthy and himself, I feel like he would have gotten the job done, and the Cardinals would have gotten that 2 nothing win, and Juan Yepes would be the hero instead of having to discuss all of the wild things that happened there in the ninth. And so let's go ahead and continue talking about that ninth inning. After Helsley is removed... Again, it was due to the injury designation. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. You had it double-barreled in the bullpen with Flaherty and Palante both throwing at the same time. And the big screen, jumbo screen at Bush, pans out. The camera is on those two guys in the bullpen as the call is made out. And we're getting to see, okay, which one of these two guys is about to walk onto that field and out of that bullpen. It ends up being Palante, and you could just see a little bit of the frustration on Jack Flaherty's face because he wanted the spot as well. Uh, it ends up going to Palante, and Ollie Marnell will explain the reasoning for that after this question from Katie Wu. Ollie, what came down to the decision between Palante and Jack? Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, you're sitting there, uh, Segura's a high ground ball guy, 60% ground ball guy against righties all year. Palante's a high, high ground ball guy. That matchup has it above 70%. You got one out. Uh, the situation's basically you want to end the game there with the ground ball double play. If there's two outs, I go to Jack and go for the punch out. So um, you're just playing the outs and probability there. So I know a lot of people have made the comment that, oh, Ali Marmel, with what happened today, clearly in over his head. First-time manager, he's inexperienced, and that was the problem for the Cardinals on Friday night. How can you listen to that answer and come away with that take? I just don't think it's possible. If you're actually listening to the questions being asked and the manager answering them with pretty much the data that backs up these process-based decisions where they, they trust in their process, uh, the results aren't always going to pan out. That's baseball. That's live sports. You don't always get to pick the score. But in that situation, bases loaded, only one out. He said if there had been two outs, we're going Flaherty because we want the strikeout. With only one out, we want to go for the double play. We're looking for that ground ball, which I think is a completely reasonable thing to do. The, the spot that it gets interesting, though, is how feasible was it to induce a ground ball there on Gene Segura, the, 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 the batter, who ends up obviously becoming the base runner toward first base on any ground ball situation. How feasible was it for the Cardinals to get that double play given where their middle infielders were positioned? Tommy Edmond, and I was noticing this as it was happening, right, before the ball was even put into play. I think this has been my reaction every time this year that I've seen it. It's not that they're playing for the double play because the infield's back. And they're relaxed in, in any, you know, any ball in front of them, they're going to try to turn two on it. And if they can't get it done, it means probably you got the out at second. You didn't get the one at first, and that allows the run from third to score, and it's a tie game. That's sort of uh, a situation where you go, okay, you don't want that. You hope that your your gold glove caliber infielders across the middle, you've got Goldie as a, a gold glover at first, Arenado at third. Paul DeYoung's been a finalist. That That's your infield setup at that point in the game. To me, I just would think you hope that those guys can execute, and if not, all right, at least you live to fight another day because you're tied, and uh, maybe you can get out of the inning with one more out and go win it in the bottom of the ninth. That would be still a, a decent consolation. Obviously, you want to maintain the lead. Obviously, you, you don't want to have to go into a situation after you've already made wholesale substitutions after the Yepes home run, which is, is another Ollie Marmel move that you can debate. They brought in Ben Deluzio to play center field. After the Yepes homer, Dickerson was obviously out of the game at that point because Yepes pinch hit for him. They don't want to play Yepes in left field. So Deluzio goes to center. Carlson goes to right. Newt Bar goes to left. You've got good outfielders defensively. They also switch it up on the infield. Tommy Edmond goes from shortstop to second. They take Donovan out of the game. And they put Paul DeYoung in for defense at shortstop. So they've got the hands team on. And basically the decree there by Ollie Marmel is to say, listen, this isn't going to be our best lineup, so make sure they don't score runs. We need six outs, and we're done. That was the way they wanted to play it, and so that meant you had to play aggressively because at that point, if you're going to make those decisions about defense, prioritizing 
glove work over potentially needing more runs in this game than the two that you already have. That's the point at which you're saying, basically, we have to win this in regulation. We don't want to go to extra innings. The longer this game goes on, the more of a disadvantage we're going to be offensively because of the changes we just made. That's part of the gamble that you're making there with those defensive substitutions after the Epis homer in the seventh. But with that, to me, would come the confidence of we're going to find a way to get this done if that's the double play ball is what we're looking for. Ollie just described the percentages of why you do it that way, going Palante over Flaherty. Okay, set it up and make it happen. But it almost seemed to me like the Cardinals got caught in between, like they were trying to bite off almost more than they could chew or more than you reasonably could expect even gold glove infielders to be able to chew. And I'm talking specifically about Tommy Edmond because on the play, the Gene Segura play that ends up giving the Phillies the 3-2 to two lead there in the ninth, the ball was hit to Tommy Edmond's left. He was playing a few steps in compared to what you would think of for traditional double play depth. And he ends up not being able to make the play. The ball gets by him going into uh, right field, and it scores two runs. It's 3-2 to two Phillies. And on the play itself, Tommy Edmond seemed to be able to get to the ball, but he almost sort of overran it where athletically it was a play that he could have made. And that's why it was confusing at the moment, and it was just one of those things that happened so quickly, and then suddenly the the, the how or the why maybe doesn't matter so much because all you know is that the Cardinals now have a deficit instead of leading in the game as they had been. And it's unfortunate. You had Helsley on the mound. You had everything going the way you'd want it to go, and then it started to unravel, and that was the moment where it truly unraveled because it was clear you weren't going to be able to save it any longer. And so the question of the defensive positioning was one that was asked of Ollie Marmel. You'll hear it here, and I'll even try to get some audio, or at the very minimum, I'll explain what Tommy Edmond had to say about it in front of his locker after the game because uh, he was the player involved in it. But here was Katie asking Ollie Marmel specifically about that defensive positioning if they're going for the double play, why is the middle infield playing in so shallow? When you're looking at the defensive positioning there, it looked like maybe Edmund was playing a little shallow in terms of the double play. Yeah, Segura could run, and he can easily just tap something in play and, and get going. So you want to make sure if it's not hit hard, you can get it out at the plate and give yourself a chance. If it's hit hard, then you're turning the double play. So he's positioned correctly there. John. Oh, that was the conversation I was going to have. Was there a conversation about playing the, the middle infielders back? You got the double play ball, or you got the ground ball you wanted. Was yep. there a conversation about playing back for the double play? Um, yeah, we're in what we call a next play there, where you're you're tight enough that if it's hit soft, you're going to the plate. If it's hit hard, you can turn it. Um, you're going to have to get the right ground ball to get Segura. He can run. So you have to defend against both. So. Um, even if he's two steps back and has the glove side, you're not turning that double play on Segura. And so a little bit of the information about Segura, it was talked up by Marmel. It was talked up by Tommy Edmond, the notion that this was a fast base runner that you're going to have trouble getting to double up in double play situations, et cetera, if he was running from home plate to first base. Here's the information on that. StatCast does a great job of this. And they break down sprint speed into several different categories and several different ways of measuring what's valuable to a given situation. And they've got a perfect one for this scenario, home plate to first base. And it has a leaderboard of 500 some odd base runners that have had at least 10 or more competitive runs, they call it, throughout the season where, you know, you're, you're trying to make a bang-bang play. There's a reason for the runner to go. Like, it's not like they're being measured on uh, a routine grounder that they have no chance to beat out or Yachty's going to make it halfway down the line and, and not have a competitiveness to that run. They're trying to measure what do the guys do when they really have a incentive to try. Gene Segura comes in at 118th in MLB this season, uh, tied really with a couple other guys. You could even say as high as 111th, although I assume the 4.32 seconds from home plate to first base I think there's probably decimals that separate these guys out, so it's not an exact tie, which is why uh, Segura comes in at 118 out of, oh, it's like 580 or something like that, base runners for the season, 582. And so Segura at 118, that's the top 20 percentile or so, uh, the 80th percentile, I should say, top 20% among base runners. So, yes, I, it's not entirely inaccurate. Says a pretty good base runner, moves well especially going from home plate to first base. In terms of his regular sprint speed, the ranking, it's not as high as 118, but specific from home plate to first, he does a nice job. 
for example, he's even with Dylan Carlson. Carlson ranks 114th in MLB this season, 4.32. So not a super fast guy. You know what you think of Carlson in terms of his foot speed, uh, but but decent, moves well. And so the Cardinals wanted to be aware of that as they were approaching this situation. The issue I have is you heard all the statistics from Marmel with regard to bringing in Palante about how they wanted to get the double play ball because the ground ball is what we're looking for here. However, if you're just settling for potentially cutting down the run at the plate, why would the strikeout not be more valuable than that? Right? Like, if it's not the double play that you're selling out for, but you're also saying, yeah, we want to kind of put some of our eggs into this basket. We want to put some of our eggs into the basket of, well, it might be a softly hit grounder because Palante induces a lot of those, which is fair reasoning. But if it's a softly hit grounder and you're not going to be able to turn the double play, that seems like a more risky situation than to just say, let's go for the strikeout with Jack Flaherty. If that's what we need, let's get two of them. Hell, I, if that's where you're at. I feel like by putting Tommy Edmond, and again, this is something that Edmond was on board with, Ollie Marmel, you heard him say it was the correct positioning. Everybody was on board with this, except maybe Cardinals fans. And it's just something about it. I, as I mentioned earlier, I got to talking about it, and I think I kind of lost my train of thought. Every time I see it this year, I think, danger like this is not good you're not I, I I don't feel good about it because you're not infield in where you know that you're going to be able to cut down the run and it's going to be a perfect situation because uh, there's no way anybody could score you're so shallow but you're also not deep enough that I feel confident a ground ball is going to be caught you're giving up so many lanes for these ground balls to get through by playing that sort of tweener defense where you're saying, yeah, we want to make sure there's a chance for the double play, but also we don't think it's particularly likely that we're going to get one because Palante induces too much soft contact, and so we need to be prepared to get the out at home if need be. That's just like, it's just introducing too many different variables to me, and I don't think it's the right way to play it. They called it the X play. You heard Ollie explain exactly what it is. I, like, the more I thought about it, the conclusion I'm drawing is I don't agree with its existence in that situation. When you're up by one, I don't think that's the way to do it. Like, yes, you don't want to concede the run, but you can't afford to, and it won't end your game, right? Like, if you play it regular double play defense, maybe that ball that was hit to Edmund, as you heard from Ollie Marmel, his belief that he says you're not going to double up Segura on that play, even if he's got to go glove side. It's just not going to happen for Tommy Edmund, go 4-6-3, Segura runs too well. You just aren't going to get it done on a, on a grounder hit that softly to the right side. That's the belief. That's the opinion espoused by Edmund as well. I don't necessarily even disagree with it. I also don't think it's a problem to try with the gold lovers that you have on hand. And if you don't get it done, you at least probably got the out at second. And now it's going to be first and third, two outs in a tie game. Yeah, you've got to get one more out. But if you get to the bottom of the ninth tied, all you got to do is score a run and you win the game. But I think it goes back to the fact that they put the hands team out. The lineup wasn't going to be its strongest. That was the the gambit that was made when they made those wholesale substitutions after the Yepes home run. So I feel like it all goes in conjunction with one another. The aggressiveness that the Cardinals want to play as a defense because they do have the horses in many cases to do it. They've got gold glovers everywhere you look. It just so happens that in this case... It didn't pan out. They went for that aggressive defense where, in their mind, they were increasing the chances of still having that double play possibility, but also if you don't get the ground ball you're looking for for the double play, you're probably going to be able to cut the run down at home because you have the athleticism for guys to dive around and make plays, make stops. Tommy Edmond just was not quite able to do it, and he had an explanation for what he was thinking on that play because, again, Physically, athletically, it looked like a ball that he should have been able to get to. He explained what he was thinking about and why it didn't happen that he uh, was able to block that ball, and, and instead it ends up uh, getting by him into right field. Yeah, it's it's uh, a play where um, if the ball's hit hard, you anything you can turn two. Um, you're going to uh, turn two, obviously, in the game. If the ball's not hitting a spot, you're going to turn two. you got to try to go home. Um, so that's what happened on that play was I uh, – Saw that ball wasn't really hit hard enough and it was hit to my left, so I wasn't gonna be able to turn two. And um, I tried to make a play where I was gonna field it, spin, try to throw it home real quick, and I kind of overran it. Um, and I ended up uh, 
get into the outfield, which shouldn't have happened either. How much of that? And Nolan talked about on his play. He had that ground ball that got past him, and he was thinking the same thing. How do I take? How do I turn this into two outs? And yeah. So that's, that's just the moment where you try to do too much because yeah. you're trying to make something out of out of an inning that's getting out of hand. Is that kind of how you yeah. find yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think in my situation, I was just trying so hard to. Uh, preserve the lead right there, mm-hmm. um, and I probably wouldn't even have had to play at home anyways. I think the best I could have done on that play is just getting out at first. Um, so I think probably just recognizing that, and then just taking what they, uh, what the ball gave me, rather than trying to uh, make something out of nothing. Do you feel like that aggression to have preserving the lead be the goal, and rather than like you could play back and you could go for the double play, but maybe it ends up tying the game if you don't end up getting it. Is, is that just the nature of your guys' team as a defense, and knowing that you've got Gold glove caliber players all over the place, and like that's the aggressive way you guys want to play baseball and go down swinging. If that's going to be the way it goes, yeah, I think so. I think I think we. I mean, that's a play that we can do because we have so many good defenders out there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's just generally in that situation, like bottom of the ninth, and you're up one. Obviously, you don't want to concede a run in any way. And the other thing is that with the runner as well, with Segura up, he he gets down the line really well. Um, so if you're back, I mean, it's going to be tough to turn to anyways because. Um, with Palante, he, he gets a lot of uh, weak ground balls. Um, so you think that that's going to be an opportunity to, to get an out at home rather than have a better chance to turn to. So that's, that all kind of played factor into that player there. And so you heard there at the end my question for Tommy, which was sort of what I've been discussing here on the on the podcast tonight. It's just that notion of, like, how do you want to play it? Is it is it a case of aggressiveness going wrong, but the aggression is what has carried this Cardinals team successfully through the entire season from a not only defensive perspective, but just in general in the run game. We've seen guys thrown out at the plate. We've seen, you know, they play the game aggressively. And I think it's unfortunate that this was a moment where that came back to to haunt them. I just feel as though it was maybe not the type of aggression that the, the moment warranted, right? Like, if the decision was to go with Palante because of the double play potential, but then everything we're hearing it, it is very well reasoned, as as Edmund put it and as Ali Marmel put it, everything we're hearing is that, well, with the soft contact potential of Palante, we, we know that it's possible we won't get that ground ball double play that's going to be hit firmly enough to really be able to turn to on this batter. So maybe the answer would have been try to go Jack Flaherty and, and get a couple of strikeouts or get a pop out, right? Uh, because a pop fly would, would do the job if it's shallow enough. You, you've got your hands team in. You've got your good arms in the outfield in, left and right. Uh, you know, Deluzio, I'm not so sure. Depends on how deep it is, whether he'd be able to to throw a guy out of the plate. But we've seen both Newt Bar and Carlson do it from the corner outfield spots. So maybe that would have been a way to approach it. You're probably not getting a, a fly ball or a pop fly when it's Palante in the game, right? You're 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 having him in there to get the grounder. So it just felt like there were maybe some conflicting interests. Uh, it's complicated. It's there's no perfect answer. Like I, I totally understand uh, what they were trying to accomplish there. It's just unfortunate that they weren't able to get it done. And then you heard Edmund talk about, yeah, I might not have even had the play at home anyway. So I wish I would have just made the simple play, taken the out, which would have essentially been what the Cardinals would have tried to do had they played the infield back taken the out at second and maybe you get lucky and, and or or you're skilled enough to turn the double play quickly and you're out of not only are you out of the inning you would, you would have won the game at that point so it felt like everybody was trying to make that game winning play Tommy wasn't able to make it and then Goldsmith after you're down three to two it's a ground ball to first base you've got a, another gold glover he throws home to try to cut down the next run Yachty can't put the tag on him in time that's another run that scores and then Nolan uh, that was that was the one that just blew my mind. The chopper to third, and he I don't even know if he got a glove on it. it. It sails into left field right over his shoulder. Another run scores, which allows more base runners to advance, and then on a sacrifice fly, I think is how they got their sixth run. Um, I kind of blacked out at that point anyway. I mean, it was just, you couldn't believe what had just happened in front of your eyes if if it wasn't sitting there on the scoreboard in front of you. Like, there, it was undeniable. I know what happened, but it it just felt like an impossibility that it would have happened to this Cardinals team, to those guys. We're talking Edmund, Goldschmidt, Arenado. They all won gold gloves last year, and they probably all should win them again this year. So it's just bonkers that that's the way it went down. Uh, but that was the reality of the situation. I want to talk about as well, though, the circumstances of Ali Marmel taking things to his bullpen when he did. This morning, Friday morning in Ollie Marmel's office, 
the discussion comes up about Jose Quintana, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show, how there was that conversation after one of his starts. He didn't get through six, but he felt like he could have gone deeper. And so then Ollie in his next time out gave him the chance to get through eight innings, and he he was great in that outing. And it sort of shows that, you know, it's still a two-way street for communication. The numbers are going to always say what they say, but sometimes players are able to to give their input, and it works out to the betterment of the team. And that was just the the framing of the conversation about Quintana coming into the start. But you recognize that in the playoffs, you're probably not going to see a guy go eight innings unless he's a workhorse type of of guy like a Shane Bieber or McClanahan for the Rays. Uh, we saw Bieber with the Guardians go seven and two-thirds and strike out eight batters today and get the win for, for the Guardians. Like those types of pitchers, it's not a knock on Quintana, but he's not that big dynamic strikeout guy. And so it probably just wasn't in the cards for him to see the lineup a third time through in its entirety. But as we started talking about the matchups, and you know that those guys across the way, Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, lefties against whom Quintana's got good numbers. I think we mentioned it last night on B-Shafe Daily, the preview episode. Uh, But if not, it was something like one for 15 coming into this game, including postseason appearances for Schwarber and Harper combined against Jose Quintana. Uh, No extra base hits. Six strikeouts. He had good numbers against those two hitters. And I asked Dolly Marmel, I said, is that a case where, you know, typically third time through, you don't want to be messing around with that. The the numbers are just overwhelming in terms of wanting to go to your bullpen at that point in in the modern game. But when you know that the matchup is favorable for, like, what are you going to do? Bring in another lefty to face Schwarber and Harper? No, that doesn't make any sense. You'd probably be comfortable with Quintana facing those guys for a third time and then maybe bowing out after that. You figure both of them will be near the top of the lineup, so it might actually pan out that way. And all I said, well, our expectation is that they're going to break those guys up with a couple of right-handers in between. And he may have already had the lineup at that point in time and was just being nice to me by saying, well, we expect, wink, wink. Maybe he already knew. But regardless, that's the way the Phillies ended up doing it. Schwarber was the leadoff man. Harper was the cleanup man. You had two righties, uh, Real Muto and Hoskins. I believe that was the order. That might have been transposed. Uh, but those two right-handed bats were in between them. Those two right-handed bats, both of which had homered against Quintana prior to this game in their career. So not a huge sample size, but both had at least one homer against him. Things you're keeping in mind there, as you're talking about third time through, guys with power potential, guys who have had power outcomes against this pitcher before in their careers, all that's got to be run through the mind of the manager And lo and behold, 70 pitches through five innings for Quintana. It plays out exactly as I I thought it would, where he asked me that. I asked him that question. He said, well, we think they're going to probably split him up. So I said, is it going to be a case where maybe, obviously, it's game flow dependent, but could it be uh, where Quintana gets a shot at one of them, but not the other? Because then those two righties in the middle sort of force your hand. And the indication from Ollie was that, you know, that yes, it's going to depend on the game flow, but that could certainly happen. Well, after five innings, the 70 pitches, it's like, all right, that's not huge on the pitch count, but I see the bullpen up and working, and it's Jordan Hicks that's up there. He's got to be coming in for those two right-handed batters, you'd have to think. And Quintana, sure enough, comes out for the sixth inning. He gets Kyle Schwarber, and that's it. Five and a third, scoreless innings, something like 75 pitches, but he's out of the game there, doesn't get to finish the sixth inning. And a lot of Cardinals fans, in in retrospect, were saying, oh, boy, that's terrible. First of all, they were saying, well, Jordan Hicks is coming in. That's bad. Well, Jordan Hicks got the job done, got both of the right-handers out that he was tasked with getting, and that was all he was charged with doing for the day. And then they went to Gallegos for the seventh. But it wasn't really until after the game I noticed all of the complaints about, well, they should they, this modern baseball, it's ruining the game. They should have let Quintana continue. I couldn't disagree with that more. I think it was an absolutely, it was a managerial clinic to do what he did, polling Quintana when he did. It was exactly the way he laid it out in his office six hours prior. I didn't have any issue with it. I thought it was the way they should have gone. It worked out by getting Hicks, the two right-handers. He got them out so he didn't have to face Bryce Harper. That would have maybe been an unfortunate matchup, Hicks against Harper. Um, But ultimately, you get the righty that comes in. It's Gallegos, but Gallegos ends up getting the job done in the seventh. He starts out the eighth, gets the one out, and then Helsley is tasked with finishing the job. Like That is the way Ali Marmel, in his pajamas... At 2 a.m. on whatever day he decided to really start breaking down these games, that's the way Ollie Marmel would have come up with the the, the pitching plan for how this was going to work for a Cardinals W on Friday. It went exactly to the script 
The only difference was Ryan Helsley's finger still has an ouchie on it, and that screwed up everything. Like, that's honestly what happened. I know that you can you, you can make the hindsight argument. They should have left Quintana in. Then Helsley wouldn't have had to throw multiple innings. Sure, but you know what else could have happened? They could have left Quintana in, and you could have given up the game right there to those right-handed batters that have both homered against him in his career. Ali Marmel was asked about that exact topic going to the bullpen when he did, and here's what he had to say. Ali, what would you make of Q's performance today and the decision the, the pitching stacked up after that like you wanted, you just didn't get the results you wanted. Did you wrestle at all with lifting him when you did, or was it was it exactly what you wanted there? Um, we knew coming into this game that there was a possibility that they throw in two righties um, between the lefties there in order for us to make a decision. Um, at that point in the game, we felt good about going to our pen and, and lining it up the way we did after the Schwarber at bat. You could have easily taken him through the two righties and then Harper. Um, we'd be asking the same questions if you walked Hoskins and were able to hit a two-run homer. So uh, we, we liked the way we lined it up. Like, that's right there from the horse's mouth. You may disagree with it, but I feel like they have operated their pitching staff this way the entire season. They won 93 games. They had a very successful campaign. They won the NL Central doing it this way. Jose Quintana, you look. it's not like he's been a guy that consistently throughout the season – even before he was with the Cardinals, after he was with the Cardinals, he wasn't often going seven, eight innings. Happened a couple times. He had very good, consistent outings, but the Cardinals, I think, managed him in such a way that allowed him to be successful. 0.81 ERA since September 1st, prior to Friday, which he only improved upon that by not having any uh, runs allowed in his five and a third innings. I think they got exactly what they wanted. They just, and even offensively, they got exactly what they wanted. Like, the lineup situation with Albert Pujols batting second, we spent a lot of time with me and the other media guys just kind of talking about it. Like, against a righty, you're going to bat Pujols second. I guess a lefty, I would have absolutely seen it, but against a righty, that's interesting. Because the whole advantage to having Albert in that sixth spot against a righty had been you could put a lefty five, you could put a lefty seven, and sort of insulate Albert in that way so that if... They want to throw two left, uh, lefty reliever at those five and seven spots. They're going to have to face Albert Pujols, and that's a bad matchup for a lefty reliever. So that had been the way they'd gone about it. That's why Corey Dickerson had been batting fifth for so long, which just drove people bonkers because the performance offensively wasn't there for Dickerson recently, but that was the that was the whole point. But in this case, Ollie said, no, Albert's been our best hitter, 1025 OPS in the last 30 days, by far the best on the team, eight home runs in that span. Like, righty-lefty, who gives a darn? Albert had been the Cardinals' best hitter over the last month. And so, Ali said, we want him taking more at-bats. We're going to bat him second. They had Newt Bar batting first, which I thought was great. Like, I, I think maybe you didn't get the most out of Donovan in the fifth spot. You might have gotten more out of him to be a table setter and then Newt Bar be another table setter with a little bit of pop. Like, I prefer the lineup to go Donovan one, Newt Bar two, especially against righties. Against lefties, you can you can push Pujols up the order and, and, and kind of take your shot there. And Sunday, they may get that chance. That's why it's so important to get to Sunday. Not just because of the obvious. Like, if you don't get to Sunday, it means that you your season's over. But it's just the massive advantage that the Cardinals would have. I can't imagine, if you're talking about, like, betting odds, I can't imagine the Cardinals wouldn't be significant favorites in a Sunday game against Ranger Suarez, left-handed pitcher. It would just be overwhelming. It would have to be. Cardinals have a better bullpen than the Phillies. They have an advantage against the Phillies starter, and they presume that they're going to be able to knock that guy out of the game early based on their ability to hit left-handed pitching at a clip better than anybody in baseball this season. I just, it would be really favorable. That's why so, that's why Saturday is so important, aside from the obvious. It's like, not only can the Cardinals extend their season with a win Saturday, they can flip the, the script back to them being the significant, overwhelming favorite in the series by doing so. And I mean, they almost had it on ice today, but they couldn't close it out because of a fluke thing that happened in Pittsburgh on a Tuesday. It is what it is, but the Cardinals are still in a decent spot. What I want to get to, though, with the lineup decisions, like I, I thought that was part of Ollie Marmel having a, a wonderful day as a manager, at least for the first eight innings or so. And I, I, I don't even think his final inning was as bad as a lot of Cardinals fans do, as I've articulated throughout the show already. But I wanted to highlight the good things that he did because I felt like the lineup that he put together 
by having a left-handed batter fifth, a left-handed batter seventh, Donovan five, Dickerson seven, and it was Dylan Carlson batting six, the, the the switch hitter, who is better from the let me get this right from the right side against left-handed pitching. So it's sort of similar to the the Albert installation where if somebody wants to throw a lefty at you five six seven, they can do that. But they're going to deal with a, a more prominent Dylan Carlson from that side of the plate. And I think it's almost like he baited Rob Thompson into that situation, Ollie did. Because if you had Albert batting six, you're probably not going to the lefty reliever there. And sure, you might get better matchups for Brendan Donovan if he's the five batter or for Dickerson if he's the seven batter. But really, what good is that when, especially in Dickerson's case, you're probably, it doesn't really matter who he's facing. He hasn't been effective over the last month plus. Whereas in the case of Pujols, obviously, if anyone on your team is going to have an advantage, you want it to be him because he can take advantage of it better than anybody. I thought Carlson, though, with what he's done this season against left-handed pitching is another example of that. And so I liked Carlson's spot in the lineup, and I said, well, we were talking before the game, folks on the field, uh, I made the comment where we're talking about who's your pick to click, just kind of shooting the breeze. I said, I think it's Dylan Carlson. If I'm going to go off the board a little bit, I think Dylan Carlson can have a big series. And he drew the walk that led to the Juan Yepes homer. That spot where he gets to come in against a lefty reliever, like it went the exact same way. Zach Wheeler, it was one inning after the Cardinals did what they did with Quintana. But Zach Wheeler started the seventh inning after having pitched six, faced Arenado, the righty, and then it goes left, switch, left. And so they went to Jose Alvarado, the lefty reliever from the bullpen. Donovan makes an out, two outs in the inning, Carlson gets a chance, and he draws a walk. That's what sets up the chess match that Ollie was looking for all day to say, all right, you're stuck now. You've got a lefty reliever. There's nothing you can do. I'm bringing in my weapon off the bench that can neutralize and have an advantage over your guy. It's Juan Yepes. And it worked like a charm. But that was a decision that was made. Like, that that was put into motion. I don't know if people fully appreciate it. That was put into motion with the decision to put Pujols second in the lineup to basically bait the Phillies manager into saying, all right, it's not like Albert Pujols is batting sixth who kills lefties. We can we can get a lefty against Dylan Carlson and have it be fine, but that's exactly the matchup the Cardinals were looking for. Dylan didn't get the base hit, but he extended the inning. He, he drew a tough walk the way that he needed to, and it's exactly what the Cardinals were looking for. They got Juan Yepes in there. He hits the first pitch homer. It was literally some, some picture-perfect managing that goes underappreciated or even unknown at all because of the fact that the Cardinals lose the game. But I loved what he did with the lineup situation. I'm very curious to see what Ollie comes up with for Saturday. Will it still be Newt Barr at the very top? Will they keep Albert in the two-hole? Or has that sort of uh, advantage been realized and now, okay, they're going to handle it differently the next day and not allow the Cardinals to basically trap them into a righty-lefty matchup with a guy like Yepes off the bench? against Alvarado or another lefty reliever. My opinion, there's literally no chance that Yepes should not be the starting left fielder on Saturday. None. He has to be in the lineup. You scored two runs. Granted, you took good at bats. I think the Cardinals got kind of screwed. You should have heard Nolan Arenado, and maybe maybe I can let you hear him. Let me see if I've got this audio. Of Arenado, after the game, was asked about the line shot that he hit to left center field that... John Denton was given these numbers, and I haven't vetted them, but what he was saying is that evidently they looked at the stat cast on the exit velocity and the launch angle and found the similar balls, similar batted balls at Bush Stadium this year. There were 14 of them, and it was something like 13 of the 14 went for home runs and doubles or something to that effect. It was just very unlikely. Arenado had four of them, and all four of them were home runs this year. Hit the exact same way as the one that he hit today, but the weather's a little colder. Balls were not flying out, the wind was blowing in, and it was just a perfect storm of crud for what Arenado had to experience. And uh, his reaction when asked about, did you think that one was a homer, uh, really just said it all. When you hit that one ball, did you think it was a home run? Yeah. yeah. And you've hit enough home runs, where you feel it in the back. Yeah, right when I hit it, was a homer. Yeah. Is that just because it's really cold? Or is it? I don't know. I don't know. This ballpark, it's, you know, it's a tough place to hit. You know, Albert hit his 108, not even close, and then, and then you know, 103 points, whatever, and not even close. Is that one more shocking because Halsey's been so automatic you guys? There you go from Nolan Arnato lamenting Bush Stadium, as we all know. Plays toward the pitchers, especially this time of year as the cold air gets going. Uh, 
take the under tomorrow night, folks, I guess, because, uh, again, it's going to be a situation where a really cool night could get down to, like, 30 degrees. Uh, if you're heading out for the ballpark, make sure you, you bundle up. But that's sort of the bottom line is the Cardinals put some balls in play with authority against Zach Wheeler early in the game, something for 14 innings earlier this season they really weren't able to do. And they just didn't get rewarded for it. Albert had won 108 miles per hour off the bat in the first inning to to right center field. Didn't even get to the warning track. Like the, the center fielder had his maybe his back heel on the, the very beginning of the warning track dirt. And it's just like 108 off the bat. How does that even happen? And then Arenado's was just smoked to left center field. And the guy didn't even have to have his back against the wall. It was on the track, but it's just, and you heard Arenado. He's like, yeah, that's a home run. Like, it just is. I don't, I've hit home runs before. I know what home runs are. That's a home run. And uh, to have that not be the case has to be so frustrating for him. Like, how much he's wanted this postseason opportunity. I hope so badly for him that he's able to get one to go or to, to have a big swing, him or Paul Goldschmidt tomorrow, uh, because they both want it so badly. Arnado in particular. I mean, he was, he was answering questions and was very gracious about it, but you could just tell he wanted to be anywhere else but the clubhouse for that moment because he just needed to decompress from this game and, and get prepped for the next one. He was done with it, wanted to wash it off, and he was good in good spirits about it. But it's just like you could tell beneath the surface, this is a guy that wants to win so badly that it it's it's going to be tough for him if, if they don't. And by the way, I heard people say, oh, he's opting out now for sure because the ballpark sucks. He's, he's known the ballpark sucks, and it hasn't diminished his numbers really all year. He still had another 30 and 100 season. Uh, still a very good offensive season. Top five OPS in the National League, guys. Should be a, a top five to six or seven MVP vote getter in the National League. Uh, he's doing it with a team that won the division, which is what he wanted. I don't think Nolan Arenado is going to opt out because one time in October in a playoff series they didn't win, he hit a ball that should have been a home run, but it wasn't. Like He's got the team and the teammates and the organization that he wants to be with. Dude's not opting out. I'll be the biggest clown on the planet and just say, I'll just own it if he does, because I'm just, I'm screaming it from the rooftops to anyone who wants to listen. Guy's not opting out. So anyway, I feel like I've decompressed. I've talked about this game as much as I possibly can. It's time for the Cardinals and for all of us to turn the page to the next one. Saturday night at Bush Stadium, 737. It's going to be a jet plane type of atmosphere for the Cardinals. I, I know that this is going to be a packed crowd. I know that Miles is going to come in, and I think he's going to have a pretty solid outing. But here's the thing. I mentioned earlier that I was going to give you my script for what this should look like. Uh, by the way, I damn near nailed it with what I said last night on B-Shape Daily. I said a 2-1 to one Cardinals winner. Uh, it was 2-1, to one, and then Tommy Edmond didn't, didn't quite catch a ground ball, and, and then some stuff happened. But I was really close. I had the script. It's exactly what had to happen. You had to work. Zach Wheeler, whether you score against him or not, is irrelevant. They got him out of the game, and once they did, they struck for their opportunity. I felt like that was the script, and it, the only reason it didn't go to plan was because of Ryan Helsley's finger not being healthy. Well, guess what? You're not going to have Helsley tomorrow. You may not have him for the rest of the series. So here's how you got to win the game tomorrow. It can't be the way you tried to win it today because it didn't work today when you didn't have Helsley at 100%. It's not going to work on Saturday when you don't have him at all. So what you need from Miles Michaelis is a quality start. He doesn't have to do what Quintana did today and go scoreless. He can go six innings, six and a third, six and two thirds, seven innings, and give up three runs, and the Cardinals can still win this game. They have got to work Aaron Nola the way that they did the last time they faced him. They got four or five runs against him, but it took seven innings to to complete that cycle. Work him early. Work counts. Don't allow things to be easy for him. No quick innings. I would bet Brendan Donovan leadoff tomorrow for that exact reason. The discussion about leadoff in Ollie's office on Friday morning was like, you like the chance to be up one nothing. He said that about Dylan Carlson batting leadoff back in spring training to a question that I asked him in his office down there in Florida. Carlson hadn't panned out as the leadoff batter over the course of 162. Newt Bar can be that kind of guy, though. He can he can lead you off one nothing. I get it. I want to see a guy like Brendan Donovan that can take a grinding at bat because they've got to get Aaron Nola out of this game. If they can do it, if they can get to the bullpen after six, the Cardinals are probably going to win this as long as Miles keeps it within the range of a quality start. So I'm thinking that's where he is tomorrow. Uh, he could go even deeper than that if he really wants to pitch a gem. Um, but, you know, it, it's still a talented lineup over there for the Phillies. You do have to contend with, like, it just seemed like today, 
anytime the Swerver or Harper were batting, you didn't clench, you didn't worry because Quintana just is so good against those guys, the lefty-lefty matchup. It won't be the case tomorrow. You might get Harper, you might get Swerver, one of those guys to go deep against Miles. He gives up one home run a game, right? It's oftentimes a solo job, but I'm predicting that one of those two lefties are going to hit the home run tomorrow. Just hope that he doesn't walk anybody ahead of it so that it's just a solo home run. I think Miles can go six or seven, give up two or three runs. You have to slug, though, if you're the Cardinals. So I'm just going to kind of throw this together real quick, and I don't have, like, career splits in front of me with what they've done against Aaron Nola. Don't really care. I'm I'm kind of going back to the basics with let's work these counts, but let's let the guys in the middle do the damage that needs to be done. I would go Donovan, Newt Bar, Goldsmith, Arenado, um, I would go Dylan Carlson, I think. I put the switch hitter fifth. And I think this is pretty much what I said I would do prior to the series. And maybe they'll listen this time. Probably not. I'd go Dylan Carlson fifth. And then Albert Pujols sixth against the righty. So that you split that up a little bit. Seventh, you could go Corey Dickerson. I would prefer not to do that. Because I, while there were a couple of fly balls that Dickerson caught today that I thought, oh boy. That might have made Juan Yepes a little uncomfortable if he had to be out there in left field. And those kind of errors are, are are situations you don't want to have when you got your starting pitcher going good and he's a fly ball pitcher like Quintana ha- had been and was today. I don't know that Yepes would have caught some of those pop-ups, but I'll say this, Dickerson caught him and didn't look good doing it. So offensively, you had one guy that, that left the yard today for the Cardinals. He had one guy that provided the spark. It was Yepes. He's in my starting lineup. I, I he would just be in there. I don't I don't know any other way to put it. I don't care about the defense. It, it, there's no prize for having decent defense in a game that you lose two to one. Uh, and today the Cardinals lost because of their defense, and it wasn't Yepes that did it. So I'm putting him in my lineup at number seven, and then I'm going Andrew Kisner batting eighth, which very well may happen against uh, the Phillies tomorrow with Miles Michaelis pitching. He's caught him a lot. Can make a case that Kisner should have pinch hit for Yachty at the end of the game on on Friday. You know he was a tying run. In that spot, you needed maybe a home run, and, and Yachty probably not the guy to supply the homer. Kisner has a couple of homers within the last couple of weeks, so maybe that would have been the way to go. It never would have happened in a million years. I recognize that, but I'm just kind of brainstorming. Cardinals need more offense tomorrow. They have to slug their way to the win, and if they do, I think they'll do the exact same thing on Sunday. I'm, you know, If I had to sit here and say it right now, I still think the Cardinals are going to win the series. I just have a feeling that they're going to be able to get it done on Saturday, and obviously if they don't. I'm the GOAT, and I'm the dummy. And I was wrong, but I just, I don't feel like in that clubhouse, they have a lack of confidence right now. Uh, they've, they've been up against the wall before they figured out a, a way to get out of it. I think this is going to be a situation similar to that. So I'd go Kisner eight. I'd go Tommy Edmond nine. You could go Tommy Edmond five as well. If you don't want to go uh, Carlson in that route, you could go Tommy Edmond seven. You can go Dylan Carlson five or seven, switch those guys out. Uh, and then at the nine spot, you could do something a little bit different and creative. I don't know, put Dickerson down there if he's your worst hitter and, and you want him to still be in the lineup. That could I know you like having like the, the lineup turnover, but maybe that doesn't matter as much. Find a way to execute some offense, and I think it ends up going well. I'm going tomorrow. Cardinals are going to win this game 6-4. to four. I think it's three runs or two against Miles. Bullpen's going to give up one or two. They're not going to have Helsley. It's going to be a little dangerous, but you, Gallegos, gets it done with the save. We'll go 6-4 to four Cardinals. It's going to be a little nervous. It's going to be a lot of fun, though, at Bush Stadium. But that is going to do it for this edition of the show. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shafe Daily, and, and hopefully it's uh, a scenario under which the Cardinals season is still going on. So like I said, we'll talk to you next time on B-Shafe Daily. Peace!